This is Irish Stephen Bear from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to The Shuttle Pod. You lucky sons of bitches. And we're back, friends. Shutterpod episode 61, and we have some some fun news items to discuss. But uh, first, let me introduce you to some of the folks who'll be taking you on this journey. My name is Jared, and I'm joined by my good friend Brian. Hi, everybody. My similarly good friend Kayla. Hey, everyone. And my even gooder good friend Matt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. Well, I get gooderest, gooderest. What is yeah, that, that makes you the best. Like I, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Today is uh, November 12th, 2018, and we've got some fun, uh, interesting new stuff to, to go through with you guys. Thanks for joining us. We hope we can keep you interested uh, with rapt attention the whole hour so that we do this. First, we just want to <laughs> uh, pause and note that yesterday, for those of us in the United States, it was Veterans Day. So we want to say yep. thanks for those who have served or particularly those who are serving right now. We, we also just uh, on Veterans Day wanted to make note that, the, of course, the Great Bird of the Galaxy was a veteran himself. He flew 89 mm-hmm. combat missions in during World War II with the Army Air Forces. And that's what got him his start as a commercial pilot after the war, which if you read some of his stuff about it, I feel like that's what informed how he created Star Trek, right? Mm-hmm. Because being on a ship, mm-hmm. having a captain, a first officer, a communications officer cabin crew all, all that kind of stuff i feel like that played a huge role in in how he set oh, up yeah. the original series oh no question and he wasn't the only veteran on the original series staff gene coon was a marine oh cool yeah um, most bob, most bob of justman the US staff yeah really yep bob yeah justman. a lot of them a lot of those Matt guys Jeffries, served in world war ii or jimmy Dewan? or in korea yeah jimmy Dewan. Jimmy that's in, right he was jimmy on Day, in normandy right? Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Dewan got was shot multiple times on, at Normandy. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. how he lost his? He lost, he lost his tip finger. of his finger. Yeah, yeah. Normandy. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, D. Kelly, I think, was in the army. So was Leonard Nimoy. I think Leonard though was Leonard was too young to be in World War II. Leonard served either during or right after the Korean War. Yeah. Mm. That's oh, okay. Right. Yep. I think after. I want to say after. Huh. That's incredible. Cool. I, didn't, so. I didn't know that. Thanks for thumbing yeah. on mm-hmm. that. Yep. And uh, another notable uh, uh, veteran from uh, America's storied military history died today, and we just wanted to pause and make a note of him, and that would be Stan Lee, who actually got his yeah. – he's most famous for Marvel Comics, but he got his start as a writer uh, in the military. He would write instructional manuals. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what kind, but that's what, what got him on that path. And we have a great article about that on Trek Movie, which you can go check out if you if you haven't already, about – uh, some of his connections to the franchise, some of the stuff that he did, and then some nice uh, tweets that that people from the Star Trek celebrities have put out. Which, again, if you haven't seen that, go look at that. It's very interesting, very very touching. My favorite little connection with, I guess I have two with uh, Stanley and the Star Trek franchise is the interview he did with Rod during Trek Nation, which was terrific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, most importantly, without Stanley's creation of the X Men, there would have been no first contact x-men crossover 20 years ago and that i think we can all agree <laughs> is an essential part of the canon <laughs> of course anyway well i guess that, i guess that covers that um oh so speaking again of uh, of uh, cartoonery we have some interesting news about mm. a new star trek animated show so uh matt matt or brian uh, can, can you fill us in a little bit on that uh sure you want to yeah i'll take Good, it matt. So yeah, the animated show that we've been hearing about really ever since we heard about the deal to expand the Star Trek, you know, CBS Star Trek universe has come to pass. And just as we had suspected, uh, the producer is Mike McMahon, who was a name that we had heard before because he had been talking about, uh, Rain Wilson had talked about him as the writer for his Short Tricks episode. So I think it's kind mm-hmm. of I think we all went well. That's a no brainer. I think we all know who the producer of this rumored now official animated series is going to be. And sure enough, late last month CBS made it official. 
Um, it's a half an hour cartoon, just like you'd expect. Um, they seem to have a lot of confidence in it because they gave it a two season order. And mm. it's officially titled Star Trek Lower Decks. Oh, very which, nice. Yeah, which I think is cool. And so it's kind of from that title, it's kind of obvious that, gee, I think we're going to be focusing on uh, some support crew, you know, some of the less uh, the, the other you guys. Know, obvious. Yeah, those other after, guys. After the make... TNG episode of the same name. Yes, right. But I think these guys are even yep. lower decks than them. <laughs> I have a, <laughs> I have a hunch. Low, lowest. This is going to be like the, this be like the maintenance staff. Yeah. yeah. So there's a there's a quote about this from out from Kurtzman that said Mike won our hearts with his first sentence, which was, "I want to do a show about the people who put the yellow cartridge in the food replicator, <laughs> so banana can come out the other end." <laughs> <laughs> okay. This this sounds like Chief O'Brien at work. Yes, it does. It sounds a lot like Chief of Brand Work, <laughs> which does. is a really great comic strip. But people, listeners, if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. It's hilarious. Hopefully they get the guy who does that to, to guest write an episode or something. Yes, they totally should figure out who that is. Yeah, talk to that guy for sure. I just can't let this episode of the Shuttle Pod pass without pointing out the fact that I've literally pitched a show of the same name on this podcast before. You, you absolutely did, Kayla. It's very true. Mm-hmm. It was the same basic principle, except that mine was um, Lower Decks crewman of the Enterprise or of a similarly important ship. And this show is the Lower Decks or an important crewman from an equally unimportant ship, which right. I thought was interesting. It's almost even more, it's even huh. more hanging on that comedic yeah. line. Well, and I think it's smart because you don't want it to be of a hero ship because this, this cartoon really is going to be effectively, it has to, it, it's non-canonical, right? It really can't be like, yes, it can be official, but like you really don't want an animated show gen like like this in this kind of more style, in this style. I don't think you want that I mean, to suddenly not? collide. And because you don't want that colliding with like your heroes, you know what I mean. Eh, so I guess I my my it. shtick, like my pitch, was that the collision with the heroes is um, is unimportant to the plot, yeah. and it doesn't drive yeah, totally. the plot. Yeah. And so it's almost and a comedic effect of like, oh, this important stuff that we've already heard about, like Wolf Three Five Nine, is happening on the bridge, but down here, you know, we're worried about some other esoteric thing that has no sure, really, really. Right. And, and the only thing is that every once in a while, you know, Riker, Riker will come in and give an order or something that forces the characters as sort of a plot device to do something or, but yeah. Okay. Than, yeah. There's an episode yeah. of Buffy, the vampire slayer where they do that. It's called the Zeppo where yes, the, yes. The a storyline. I don't know, Matt and Brian, I don't know if you were Buffy fans, uh, but the a storyline is Xander kind of the loser of the group <laughs> getting cast off and dealing with all these hijinks. Mm-hmm. That don't really matter. And the B storyline is the rest of the Scooby gang saving the world from this horrible monster coming through the Hellmouth that we never see. Right. Ah, nice. And yes, it's yes. such but a they never all, They also never see the struggles that Xander went through to yeah, solve so his own seemingly esoteric problems. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and great, so we don't think, again, we don't really know how this is all set up. We just have this vague description. So, hey, maybe. Right. Right. Maybe they will cross paths, you know, with more important things. We don't really know. We don't know what era it's set in or anything. No, we don't know anything. So, um, or when we're going to see it or anything else. No, we don't know when we're going to see it. Uh, animated series have a long lead time. Uh, one other thing oh, is that sure. Mike McMahon is also busy with his own co-created show for Hulu. Like right now, he's also busy with that called Solar Opposites. It's another sci-fi cartoon yeah. for Hulu, and that cartoon won't even go, get won't even like be on Hulu until 2020. So I don't oh, know. Yikes! Yeah. So I kind of think this is like an announcement to let people know that they're serious because the rumor mill had been stirring about it, mm. and because it's kind of obvious once this guy's name got you know got put yeah. forth for the short treks that he's writing, it's kind yeah. of like, gee, right. we probably should say something official. Right. Yeah, I mean, we we flat out asked Kurtzman at New York Comic Con. We did, yeah. He, and he and basically kind of demurred. He demurred, and then I, like two weeks after that, yeah, this, this announcement. Yeah, he basically so. said, "You'll be hearing more about that really soon." And he was right, yeah. like really soon. They did end up saying something. Yep. Um, yep. so yeah, I don't know how fast this is going to be, but I would bet you it's not for another two years easily. Oh yikes! At least, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll get a good teaser trailer in the next 
That's what I hope. Months. I I hope yeah, they yeah, you know yeah. sketch some stuff out, put some stuff together, and at least we see a little something. Um, yeah. So uh, one thing I wanted to point out about this is is kind of like um, the the short tracks episode we're about to talk about later in this in this shuttle pod Calypso. Um, it looks like that uh, these new sort of new people into the Trek franchise are getting uh, kind of auditioned, you might say, with their short treks. So Michael Shabon got to write Calypso as kind of a you know get his feet wet, see how it works kind of thing. And so I think that we're going to get a, a taste of what Mike McMahon is like with his short treks that comes out in January called The Escape Artist that features Harry Mudd. So they're all kind right. of, we get an idea of what they, what their style is going to be, I think. Right. Yeah. So what do we think about this, guys? Personally, I think it's a fun idea. I'm looking forward to it. I often enjoyed some of the more lighthearted episodes of Star Trek yeah, you know, yeah, like almost like any like any other kind of art form, you know, Star Trek is ripe for being made fun of, just like anything. Else. <laughs> oh God, yeah. yes, yeah, I'm looking so, forward to it. Yes, yeah, I mean it's it's fun to go light once in a while, and I think a lot of the later shows weren't always too lighthearted. They tended to be a little more on the serious side, so it's good to see this. You know, yeah. I think one of them kind of thing being brought forward. One of the biggest concerns that people have is since he wrote for Rick and Morty, people are, are like a project Rick and Morty onto Star Trek. And they, they think like, that's what it's going to be. And I don't think that's really fair. I, I just can't see that that's really what they want. You know what I mean? They don't want that exact style. Um, they don't oh, want no, that but total, but to, to be fair, know. Rick and Mel, Rick and Morty is good storytelling with some, it is. With its own style mm. painted on top of it. Definitely. And, so, um, I mean, on, superficially, definitely. if you watch it for five minutes, it's like, oh, it's this weird guy burping and making weird jokes. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if you watch the show, there's there's obviously much more to it, which is why it has such yes. a big fan base. Yes, absolutely. So, so it, I but, mean, that gives me... I, I certainly don't think they're trying to recreate Rick and Morty. I think that's ridiculous. No, no. Also, I don't also, think he's, so either. He's not one of the two big names attached to Rick and Morty, right? So he's... Right, it's, he came he's in got later. Enough of the and, name recognition yeah. to gin up interest, but not enough that it seems like his influence would overwhelm the new production. In my opinion, that's right. Mm. That's right. Because mm. he came in later. He he was he was added towards the end of the second season as a writer. I I would also like to point out that if you want to get a sense of how he views Trek comedically, you should go look up his Twitter account that mm-hmm. he started. For TNG season eight. Oh God, yes. yes. Oh, that's that's which he's, which he's much had for more years. Telling. It's been that's been out there for years. That's yeah. one of my favorite um, things ever yeah. in the Star Trek universe, I, and I'm not yeah. I'm not so exaggerating. I, I, I don't have the web address in front of it's me right at, now. It's at TNG address. underscore S eight. Yep, it's super okay, there easy. There you go. Yeah, I highly recommend investigating that. Yeah, and that I think I think good point. I think that's where people can actually get a sense of of his of his sense of humor as it relates to Trek because. Yes, it it is yes. equally kind of like zany in some ways, but not the same. It's not but Rick it, and Morty. But it either. so gets the heart of Star Trek. It finds all of because Star Trek has its, its own set of tropes. It does, and he oh, told yeah. and he knows oh, them and he uses them. them, and it's really pretty damn funny. Like I'm yeah, trying yeah. to remember yeah. one of my favorite ones where it's like you because know, the way he always structures the tweets, it's it's like setting up with like a sitcom the way a sitcom storyline goes, which like. We always talk about there's an yeah. A storyline and a B storyline. So he does the yeah. same thing. So he'll be like, um, uh, you know, Riker and Troy are trapped in a cave. Uh, meanwhile, Picard and Data are trapped in a different cave. Jordy and Worf, cave. It's just like, Picard wants racist aliens to stop being racist. Riker accidentally sells Data to a prostitute. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny. There are these like perfect little pitches for like you know so- something like a sitcom or something. It's really great. And yeah. It's like the bad TV guide description of a Star Trek. Oh yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. A- yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, um, he actually got his Twitter account, you know, pulled into a collection and publishes a book Warped. that was officially ordained by CBS. Like they they allowed this to be published. Dude, that's a win-win like, for everybody. Yeah, and use the Star Trek name. He did, you know, like the unofficial books that can't say the name Star Trek in the title because he got it, you know, officially blessed to be a product. Like he can actually say Star Trek: The Next Generation on, on his book. So I think 
CBS uh, already sort of had a relationship, you know, just sort of in, in passing with him already. So I think that speaks volumes that his parody already got officially acknowledged and now he's working, you know, to develop. Yeah, that was his uh, foot in the door. Yeah, for sure. Great. Well, that's just, uh, whatever, whenever it happens, I'm sure it'll be worth the wait. But that's not the only show that's on the horizon, potentially. What uh, what other rumors do we have flying around about potential new shows? Whereas I guess that that the animated show Lower Decks is not a rumor. That's legit. No, but that's next, official. Now. That is officially announced. But this yeah, next yeah. this next yeah. one is is a rumor. And that would yeah. be oh, um, yeah, Brian. Why don't you take the ball? Yeah, on Friday, last Friday, Deadline Hollywood reported one of the Hollywood trades reported that Michelle Yeoh is in talks to have her own star trek show presumably with as emperor Giorgio, and we are assuming involving something involving section 31 right um go ahead matt well i was gonna say i think this all makes sense for a couple of reasons well not the least of which is that if you look in the start of production you know video that they release for the beginning of season two they give you this glimpse of a bunch of blueprints and they've definitely built section 31 specific sets for season two so if they've right. got them standing already like there you go <laughs> time to use them right and yes i don't know why there are specific section 31 sets because section 31 is supposed to be clandestine but guess what there are um <laughs> that's a different problem but they yeah <laughs> but well you you forget this is the same organization that recruited Giorgio like out in the open yeah flashing a <laughs> flashing a badge that they shouldn't so. have oh yeah and the black badges oh, that everyone's just wearing badge. yeah yeah it's like oh so, dude you yeah. section 31 now too sweet yeah. I, I, I could tell because of the badge like i know you section for you a section... fraternity at the first week of college <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh. oh man do you oh, even discovery. section 31 brah so yeah uh right so this is kind of exciting only that like michelle yo is cool and that's cool we love michelle um we do and everyone on the show clearly does as well yeah everyone Mm -hmm. loves working with her because she's so this is really cool in that sense it's really cool uh i am more apprehensive about the whole setting of course section 31 etc as we've just sort of snickered at <laughs> so why why does it why does it have to be section 31 why can't it be a prequel with captain georgia um so or, i think or something so, new uh, well it yeah. can't be new because come on they are they are she's already an established character that people like so they're no, no, I mean, with... and, I mean, a new like organization or premise, and not this. Oh one. well, unfortunately, she's already written in season two as part of oh, section thirty-one, okay. so okay, they're not going to like you know unwind that. Right, right. But um, one of the reasons why it can't be a prequel, and this is a huge bummer, is there's a couple of real world reasons among, as well, which is that uh, the Shenzhou Bridge doesn't exist anymore. It's been totally re re uh, oh, pull, pulled apart oh. and rebuilt for season two for yeah. other, sure. as other. I mean, sets. they could rebuild that. They could, if but they it's really wanted to. pretty dramatically different. It's part of the Section 31 stuff, from what I can tell, by the way. Um, it's basically been ripped apart and put back together in a different form. So that's not exactly economical. Because remember, they're looking for ways to do this, to do all these things, you know, on various levels of budgets, on various levels sure. of commitment. Um, I like this. This They don't say if this is, a, you know, one of the miniseries or whatever. I can I can imagine that they want this to be especially Michelle Yeoh wants us to be a limited series because she's got a lot of other stuff going on. And, right? she, like, and she's like 54 right. years old or something. Right. Right. So, right. so she doesn't know. have anything to prove. Right. Yeah. She's so a big I'm name. Sure this has to be, yeah. She is a big name. So I'm sure this, this would be like a limited series. Although who knows? We've, we well, we said about that about Picard Patrick show. Stewart. Yeah, exactly. We were wrong about that. So it could be wrong. We were like, um, there's no way it's going to be like six episodes and done. And nope. right. This one seems more more likely, though, because it seems more experimental, like they want to try a different genre. And that fits with um, what the CBS execs and what Kurtzman's execs, you know, from his company have been saying that they like to try different styles and different, you know, formats of shows. And so a Section 31 show, I think in their mind, uh, you know, this is me guessing, but I think in their mind, this is the spy genre show that they get to make. Right. Oh, okay. Section 31 is spy all about spying. Genre. Yeah, so they get to make a spy thriller mm. form, 
in the Trek mm. franchise now. So, you know what I mean? They're Trek checking the boxes of different genres. always works when you do it, except it's the wrong genre. Right? <laughs> well, but, tre- but, but I mean, to be fair, Trek likes to play in different genres, sometimes fairly successfully, you know, at least for an episode or two. Sure, so, I mean, like, we just, we just discussed that it can do comedy, and we think a whole cartoon series is going to work. Fair. So, now... Now, I don't think this is a great idea. Truly, I mean, like, I agree. I don't think this is a great idea personally. But you can see where this sort of executive logic is coming from. They're like, oh, we want to try different styles. We want to try different <laughs> yeah. formats. Well, that, that's one thing you need to remember here. That, that <sighs> This is all being primed by executives. That's yes, what I don't very, get about, exactly. Very much so. This about, is not a creative thing. It's like an executive thing. How are the executives right. the ones that ever make decisions about? This kind of, I mean, that's always how it works. Always. It's always But, how it but is, they're the but... ones who are least informed. <laughs> well, yeah. or this could be something where they're just throwing it out there to see what the reaction is. And Fair. if everyone yep. says, hey, yeah. this is yep. awesome, then they're like, okay, then this right. is what, I well, see that's, what you mean. that's what I was speculating the other day was that this was floated out there to gauge reaction to yeah. it. Right. You and know I think, what? I'm I for that, to be honest, because I like yeah. the idea of being creative, trying something different. I really hate to poo poo this before it even gets off the ground. So, you know, I'm trying to hold back my own cynicism. It's just like, to me, it feels like, let's take the worst part of Discovery and make a series about it. <laughs> sure. And that's what, you know, yeah. the the thing we're going to have to sort of almost reserve judgment about this on is we need to see how Section 31 is woven into Season mm. 2 of Discovery because that's probably going to inform whatever we would see as like a spinoff about the emperor you know yeah i think i think Um, i have a big sticking there's a big sticking point for me regarding the section 31 thing because it's um like symbolic of the way that canon has been regarded so far in a lot of instances in a lot of instances it's been mm -hmm. fine we've we've pointed out a lot of cases in which canon has been completely ignored in order to service Mm -hmm. like a fun moment and i felt like that's what was section 31 and so now yeah. they're like doubling down on that for season two and then possibly even a mini series or series dedicated to it. And it's yes. like, okay, but that doesn't, it already doesn't fit into the universe. So you shouldn't, it's like, we, it's like we all agreed collectively to forget about transport beaming because it was ridiculous <laughs> right. and it did, it ruined right. canon, you know? And so I wish we could just be like, Hey, remember that Goran skeleton that let's just all agree that that wasn't there. Let's all agree that we didn't make Section 31 into basically just the CIA. Right. That's the problem with it, for sure. Especially since, you know, it's hard to believe that this is something that nobody had really heard of because it was so good at being shadowy by the time that Dr. Bashir stumbles upon it. Right. A thing that shows up all the time now. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And they even yeah. have their own unique insignia now, which they should not have. Not at and all. Not badges. at all. It's it's like yeah. it's like they probably even have their own secret handshake. <laughs> right. It it's like in, in there's an episode of Deep Space Nine where the Sloan says, "We don't even have a building. We're so secretive that this yeah. entire That's organization right. just exists in people's minds." But That's right. They're not supposed they, to have buildings. But apparently, they have like. Uh, a branding team they have branding can, yeah yeah they can they have come a up PR with their design firm. logo yeah exactly yeah. And a, what are and you gonna put the logo the... on guys what are you gonna yeah. put it on it's what, a, do, it's they, a badge a letterhead and a special itself. font that they use <laughs> they get yeah. hoodies at christmas that have their logo yeah. on it right well you, you gotta remember this is a star trek universe where like Starfleet now brands oh, all their God. stuff including their including their top secret and their popcorn yeah, we'll get yeah, to yeah, we'll get so, to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, this is the, as you might imagine. I think the reaction is very mixed. Like we feel mixed about this, I and mean, the reaction has been very mixed from fans too. That a lot of people want to see it because you know it sounds neat. Every, and people like Michelle Yeoh, and then there are a lot of people who are like, "Well, pump the brakes. Section thirty-one was already sort of a bad idea and overused already. Why are we doubling down?" Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so. and I, I don't have a whole lot of use for this Emperor Giorgio. Me neither. No, who is just this? I, who is just this like terrible. mustache twirling genocidal? I, I agree. Yeah. I, I would. I would far rather see a prequel and, and, with Captain kind of Giorgio, a cannibal, but they don't just forget. won't do it. It's not going to happen. Right, she's a cannibal too. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Uh... 
Well, actually, are you a cannibal? If you she didn't eat her species? own kind. Right. She ate a different species, but okay, she's a some kind of cannibal. Yeah, eating other eating other sentient. Yeah, eating other sentient beings is probably yeah. That probably that crosses a line. Let's just yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily averse to like some sort of spy version of Star Trek, especially if it's a miniseries or something. But that character, I have absolutely no use for her whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. that's a good way. Nola to Giorgio, I did, but not, but not the, not the, not the mirror universe. Right. Version so, and and just we sort of forgot to touch on this, but one of the reasons why, as much as I think I, I would love to see a prequel with Giorgio, is you can't you you, you if you do that. You have to involve Burnham as the second officer, and then you have to pay two really big stars money for this like mini series. They're not going to do it. You know, here's what I mean? the re- that's They're the real not. reason why. That's the real reason is you can't have both Sonequa and Michelle Yeoh like there. Maybe maybe it's not going to be like a prequel. Maybe we're going to find out that Burnham's been dreaming the past couple of seasons. <laughs> Oh no! Because he's been on the Shenzo the entire time. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. And you were there, and you were there, (laughs) (laughs) and there was this thing called the spore drive. It was so weird. Wow, Michael, that's really stupid. Why would you dream that? (laughs) Exactly, Michael. Have you been huffing spores? What's wrong with you? Like, (laughs) so. I think that's, yeah, very mixed reactions, let's say. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the other thing, and maybe this is repeating myself, but the other thing sort of similar to the way I feel about the way Section 31 was handled uh, and that, like, I have still that taste in my mouth from that, I'm sort of coloring my vision on this series. It's similar to the way Brian says, um, I have no use for that character. That really resonates with me because when they introduced her, you know, I was like, I didn't love... The, there's things I did like about the Mirror Universe um, episodes of Discovery, and there were things I really disliked about it. But the thing about her characters, when they brought her back to mm-hmm. the Prime Universe and then brought her, masqueraded her as the real person, I thought that was one of the most evil things I've ever seen anyone on Star Trek do. Well, um, explain. To, to take someone who... Like, like for especially when you're looking at this from Michael Burnham's perspective, which is the original idea of Discovery, right? She's supposedly the main character. And so we've just, if you're her, you've seen your mentor killed because of your own actions. And you've started mm-hmm. an entire war based on that. And your entire, your entire life is about trying, is about trying to understand whether or not you're worthy of redemption for having done that. Mm-hmm. And they bring right. this woman back who's the mirror image of the woman that you killed, who is, again, like basically your mother. And they're masquerading her in front of everyone else as the real person. I yeah. I think that's horrifying that they would do that to her. I don't know if it's just me, but. Yeah. No, it's pretty messed up. I agree. It's pretty messed up. It's I really thought it was messed. super Deceiving messed up. the entire Discovery crew. Yeah. Saying, oh, look, we just found her. She's fine. And then treating her like she had some kind of authority instead of her being a prisoner of war, which she was. Yeah, She is yeah. a prisoner of yeah. war from a faction that you're basically kind of still at war with in a way. And apparently this deception is going to continue into season two because Pike does not know right? that she's the mirror version. And that's right. why. Why give her that kind of power? Because now she, you, you let her loose on a ship and according to everyone there, she has the power of a captain. Why yep. would you do exactly. that? Oh, it's a terrible idea. They so never anyway, let just, a, just... a, a power hungry emperor from another universe like and have it also free defiles reign. the memory of the of the real one. Actually, well, well, the real well one. also being an enormous security concern because, like, how mm-hmm. can you trust huge. this person? Right. Huge, yeah, but they huge. do, and everyone yeah. she could be giving orders while she's on a ship because they've let her loose on the ship, telling everyone yeah, she's but... the real thing. So yep. I just it just none of that makes yep. sense to me at all, and so it's just like I'm just ugh, it's upsetting. <laughs> get too worked up over it, this yeah. stuff in theory her boss is keeping tabs on her like her section 31 boss or but whatever, why but... go to the trouble i know how there is she be. that useful of a of a she's, card to play she's not honestly right. she's not exactly they so shouldn't, that, do, ugh, it. They shouldn't yeah. do it yeah so anyway sorry about that. that was a little digression but no that was perfectly on theme anyway so that may or may not ever happen we don't know mm-hmm 
you know, her, her stock has gone up in the States ever since Crazy Rich Asians came out. Which she was awesome in. Yeah, but like that, but that definitely, you know, the difference in her price tag probably is considerable from where it was mm, say, a year good ago. Point. Possibly, so, yeah, yeah. So who knows? We'll see. We'll see what comes of this. It it was definitely it definitely came out of nowhere, and I think we all, when we heard about it, went, "Huh." I mean, I would but, love to see a, sh- a show with Michelle Yeoh, but I agree with you. I don't see how else it could be done. Yeah. So well, we'll see. It's one of many potential Star Trek projects out there. So, do we do we want to talk about the uh, speaking of, of Star Trek series on the horizon? Do we want to talk about uh, Shaban's comments about the Picard series before we talk about Calypso? Is is there much to say about that, or do we just want to go straight to Calypso? No, we should talk about them. They're good comments about. Okay, they Let's won't hear. they won't take long. Matt, why don't you uh, why don't you lead the charge on that? Yeah, before we leave, sort of newsy bits. Um, Michael Shaban, who's uh, the co-writer of Calypso, which we'll talk about in a minute. And of course, one of the producers and writers on the Picard series, which has, I think I was almost excited about. Um, he's been talking more, of course, to the press because his short tracks came out this week. And naturally, people kind of got to squeeze in a few, you know, questions about the Picard series that he's writing for. And of course, he won't give any details, but he did say some really positive things uh, about taking Kanan seriously and the tone that he's looking for and, you know, some things like that that I think are really positive that I think are really encouraging for people, um, you know, about him and his place writing for the franchise. Uh, there's a few little quotes that I really liked that he said, now that I'm working on the show and now that I'm a part of Star Trek, I feel like it's my responsibility to make sure that the current model is true to the ideals of the original show the ideas of tolerance and egalitarianism, which I think is a nice little soundbite because it doesn't, I don't think we saw that a lot in discovery season one. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, there's, to, but yeah. When we do our episode about the Orville, there's one episode of the Orville that does everything discovery season one was supposed to do. And it does it better in just one hour. <laughs> wow. Bold claim. Yeah, I like indeed. It. We'll have to, we will have to talk about that for sure. There's a teaser. Yeah, that's for a hook. <laughs> that's a hook for you all to come yes, back and hear the argument. It is. I love it. Uh, another thing, of course, is that he weighs on. Speaking of this dark stuff, is he weighs on the whole dystopia thing, and he says, "To me, dystopia has lost its bite. Woo! A, we're living. Yeah. A, we're living in it. <laughs> and B, it's such a complete crushing series of cliches at this point. That makes me um, so happy." Says, it's so nice. Yeah, he seriously. says, yeah, the tropes have all been worked and we worked so many times. And so he goes on to say, you know, some other stuff, but he, he finishes sort of this little segment of his interview. This is a positive vision of the future articulated through principles of tolerance and egalitarianism and optimism and the quest for scientific knowledge. To me, that feels fresh nowadays, which is kind yeah, of sad, but true. You. It does Heck feel fresh, yes. right? It's needed. And then specifically... Yeah, Yes, I know. This, he's saying all the right things. Like, this is great. And then specifically, he, he addresses, you know, why Picard is still relevant. And he says, Picard is the hero we need right now. He exemplifies in some ways even more than James Kirk. And I'm not going to get into the Kirk versus Picard argument because I love Captain Kirk. He was my first captain. But Picard is even more of an exemplar of everything that is best about Star Trek's vision for the future. Heck to the Yes. So, yeah, I mean, that's all, like, super, you know, exciting mm-hmm. stuff from Michael Chabon right there. Captain Picard is a hero, is not the hero we deserve, but he's the one we need right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's what I thought of, too. Um, so these are exciting tidbits, like, at least on his point of view, sitting in that writer's room. So that's really great. Love it. He seems to get it a lot more than a lot of his colleagues do. <laughs> it seems like it, yeah. Yeah, no, no, a dark, gritty prequel of Star Trek is something that nobody really wanted. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Oops. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, yeah. <sighs> anyway, thanks for, anyway. thanks for going through that, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So, uh... Now let's get to the, uh, the 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 meat of our episode of our podcast, which is the new short treks, which premiered mm-hmm. over the weekend. Yes, Calypso. The second, uh, the second in the line of short treks. Yes, indeed. Yes, the second of four. 
This one is called Calypso, and it was written by the aforementioned Michael Chabon, mm-hmm. based on a story he did with uh, Discovery staff writer Sean Cochran. And it was directed by uh, Discovery director Olatunde Osamani. I think I said that right. I, think, I hope I, I said that right. And uh, it, I can read a summary of it if you'd yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Bring us up to speed. Summary. I will give you the memory alpha summary. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you haven't seen this episode, you, now might be the time to stop listening or hit pause. Yeah, yeah. That. We left this towards yeah, the although end. Although odds are, if you're, if you're listening to this, you've probably already watched true, it. True, true. But anyway. After waking up in an unfamiliar sickbay, Kraft finds himself on board a deserted ship, and his only companion in hope for survival is an AI computer interface. Pretty accurate. So mm-hmm. that's accurate, and it leaves out a lot of details, which is good. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of. Yeah. Um, obviously, the ship that he wakes up on is the Discovery, which has apparently been floating in this weird little pocket of space for a thousand mm-hmm. years. That's and that's already the so the a thousand year mark from when it was abandoned is already in the the future of modern Discovery of the show. Right. Because right. this AI yeah, some, exists and it's, it's supposedly much more futuristic tech and they show a shuttle pod at the end of it, which is more futuristic than the mm. current ones. Yeah. Right. So anyway, what did uh, what did we think of Calypso, guys? Okay, so I, I feel like they wanted it to kind of feel like an episode of The Twilight Zone or Black Mirror, where it was like a mysterious anthology mm. series type of thing. Um, and I think that mostly worked. Here's the thing with uh, having been having watched a lot of Twilight Zone and Black Mirror, they do the same thing. Is these these sort of anthology sci-fi series have three components: a setup that shows you what the premise is, some filler, and then a twist at the end, right? Or some kind of zinger, even if if it's not necessarily a twist. And the challenge with these, in my experience, is always making the filler work because sometimes. The, these just drag, right? Like there's one uh, right. last season of Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. They did this episode that was 90 minutes long. It was so long. It was so Oh, it's too long. I, yeah, it was so Do, do you remember the, ep- the episode I'm talking about? The uh, It was one about yep. the bees who kill people from, anyway, from Twitter yeah. or whatever. Anyway. Um, That's so, a freaky premise, but yes, too long. <laughs> it is. It is, but it's way too long. And with this being like 13 minutes, I think that's the exact right length for, for something like that. Um it felt like mostly the filler, right? Because we don't really see the setup. We don't see how the ship or or craft got there, and there's no real twist, right? Because him like leaving the ship—that's not that that you know. We don't really see what happens mm-hmm. next. Uh, having said that, those the the mystery elements that are there in those absent components make me feel more intrigued to see what's going to happen, right? And so I mm-hmm. I feel like it, it worked really well. I was impressed with it, and there's a scene where he eats some waffles that made me want to eat waffles so bad they looked so amazing. <laughs> you know what he's, I'm talking about? Yeah, all all the food he had actually looked really good. Yeah, the taco tacos Tuesday, looked good too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I really liked it. Um, I thought it was overall an improvement from the last episode, the Tilly based one. Oh yeah, um, sure. Oh, again, yeah. like I won't reiterate too much of what I said last time, just say like I loved Mary Wiseman in that, but I thought the story was um, erratic and poorly thought out. I thought this one did exactly what it needed to do. I thought um, it's probably a very tall order to make a 15 to 20 minute Star Trek show with one to two actors, uh, you know, on existing standing sets that doesn't overlap with the other stories they're trying to tell. Like that's a big thing to ask. So there's not a lot of room to play in that universe. And I thought it was clever to set this in the far future on an abandoned ship. Um, whereas in the Tilly mm-hmm. one, I was like, why isn't there anyone else around? This is mm. weird. Yeah. Um, yep. So, yeah, I thought that was great. I wish I would have gotten to know um, the main character a little bit better. But again, like for the 20 minutes that I had with him, I connected with him. Um, mm-hmm. I sort of connected with the AI, although I also found her creepy. Um, I, th- I think you were. I think you were supposed to find her a little creepy, so because you, I think they want us to not be sure what her motives were. Like, is she is she Hal or is I'm she s- right? Or is she right, good? but just so, right. again, as someone like like you, Jared, also who's watched a lot of Black Mirror, I'm like at the end of it, I'm like she still seems nice, but I'm skeptical. 
Like, we're gonna, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like because because they they didn't put the twist there, right? So they it, they left you hanging for that. Thing which that you, you know were what? Frankly, I like that it was a happy ending. I'm not asking sure. for a Black Mirror ending. No. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that they sent him off. You know, the the name on the shuttlecraft is the name from the um, from the movie they had watched together and all the stuff, and it makes you feel like she's a real person. Um, it's an interesting thought because um, people talk a lot about AI today. I'm sure this is Matt, something Matt can comment on. Um, and obviously this is a, a far flung from what AI means today. Today it's like a sort of advanced algorithm that is still extremely yeah. biased. It's it's way overstated. Yeah. AI is way overstated today. Today, yeah. Because yeah, when someone says today, AI, today. they think of what we saw in the show, which is essentially a sentient being. She To me, she, right, was, she right. appeared sentient. Like she would have passed whatever future version of the Turing test we're going to have. Um, right. Yeah. Right. But, exactly. but today's AIs are like, <laughs> they may, maybe could eventually pass the Turing test, but they're still incredibly stupid. <laughs> yes, um, they are. <laughs> and they uh, certainly yeah. don't have emotions, which she clearly did. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'm sort of digressing, but um, overall I thought it was fantastic for what I had to do. It had to do, I think the biggest gripe people had with it, um, which I don't necessarily disagree with, was that it didn't feel that connected to the Star Trek universe. Right. Um, yep. But I was okay with it because I understand the restrictions that they were under in order to write this episode. I thought that what they did with it was very, very clever um, in a nice way. And so in that way, you know, as someone who's going to complain when they see the Gorn skeleton or whatever, you know, things that are breaking little tiny yeah. pieces of canon. This, I was like, you did it. You fooled me. I cannot nitpick anything having to do with canon here. Like, mm, good right. job. I can because, relax. Because they said it so far, they said it so far removed and so far advanced. What can you pick about it? You don't, you right. can't, right? Yeah. Can we also talk for a minute about this thing about the, um, the, his, the enemy is yeah. the Vidrash? Is that right? Yes. Right. Something like so that. So someone maybe Matt, maybe do you know the story better than me about how this came about? We were talking about this in the Slack. You're talking about the that Shabon talked about how that's a bastardized version of the word federation. Basically. Did he actually say that? Oh yes. Yes. Yes he did. Uh, a com- he did. someone he read it, didn't he? Yeah, someone commented on Instagram and said, Oh, is it this? And he went, Yep, on the nose, you got it. Like they they he teased something about it, and somebody said, "Oh, it's this." Um, the word, the so, word is kind of crazy. So, um, what was, I'm sorry, what was her main character's name? Craft, craft, craft. So, craft. Well, that, enemy. that is the name he is given. We don't know his real name. Oh, right, yeah, he, true. Yeah, that's right. He Our won't actually hero. disclose his name. AKA yeah. Craft. Yeah. AKA Funny Face. <laughs> yeah, AKA Funny Face. Um, yeah. His enemy, who's been fighting this whole time, is perhaps actually the Federation. Maybe. I mean, that's sort sure. of non-canonical, but it's like Im- yes. it's implied because of this name, Vidrash. It's also interesting because he like t- he talks about them. Yeah, like Vidrash. Yeah, exactly. He talks about, oh, very nice. He talks about that group being, that group of like his enemy or whatever, being obsessed with like collecting artifacts from history, which is why I like the Betty Boop cartoon is there in, his, in that escape pod. Oh. It's kind of interesting because, you know, oh. the Federation really can be, a lot of times like really can be seen as being very... Uh, stuck on like collecting artifacts and knowledge and especially like what we see of the 24th century version of the federation is way into this sort of how much can we categorize and you know log and explain sort of so Mm. you know there's a little like it's cute there's this little hint that you know maybe something goes really crazy just catastrophically wrong with the idea of the federation a thousand years after stuff we know you know? or someone takes the name and uses it as their you know vigil yep. to do some kind of crazy yep, organization exactly. yeah yeah all kinds of possibilities with that so i thought that was, that's a neat that was really twist. neat yeah of course that is not on screen anywhere this is just like you said non-canonical we're just talking about it but they do save a drache right in the yes, show but i mean so. Mm-hmm. The fact the fact that it's supposed to be this bastardized federation is totally non canonical. Is sure. what we're saying. That's yeah. so. Well, that's but if it's like... super far in the future, then yeah, it's a thousand years in the future. But so. that's just a sign right. to me of someone who's really thought this story out. He's fleshed out. Yeah, this, yeah. he's probably got well, a lot of other ideas 
about what this universe looks like that didn't make it on screen because it's just sort of backstory. And yeah. that's, that's he even that's talks awesome. about mm-hmm. he like in another interview that he did with another outlet, he talks about that he really thought uh, Shaman really thought he was going to get pushed back by flinging it a thousand years, you know, into the future, and thought you know everyone's going to freak out that he put it so far in the future, and he's you know he sort of was his own worst critic and thought about it and said well no if i if i put it anywhere closer you're going to be able to locate it next to some of that and and then and then i can't have this right then you can't have this blank slate yeah then you can't i thought it was super clever very smart he outsmarted me in terms of being able to and that's not easy though exactly i want them to do that yeah. That's why, mm-hmm. to be fair, you yeah. know, as much crap as we give, um, like, the Kelvin universe stuff at, from time to time, I thought setting that in a different universe was genius. Yeah. Yeah, it yes, was It was the absolutely. right idea. They just executed it poorly. <laughs> yeah, the execution <laughs> yeah. was poor. But yes, it was but the good the idea, whole for idea, sure. The whole idea of going into another timeline and freeing yourself mm-hmm. up creatively was they a beautiful idea. They had to idea. do that. Right. Absolutely. While still, right. oh, yeah. while still no with question. the presence of Spock Prime tying... Right back to the original. That was that beautiful. Was, yeah. I was on board a hundred percent. It was, but even that, even that wasn't even particularly necessary. It, it just was like start over. Just give yourself some leg room to to play in. I'm on know? board with the sure. passing of the torch, though, which is what they were doing with that. Anyway, we're digressing. So we digress. Um, but uh, yeah, this was a really fun, different episode. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Ooh, I saw. Can I say one quick hmm. thing? Sure. Go. Because I would love mm-hmm. someone to prove me wrong about this. Because I could be wrong. But I think they got a detail incorrect. So he goes, <laughs> he goes on the bridge, right? And he like mm-hmm. blows away some dust that was on the. Yeah. Um, Are you gonna say yeah? There uh-huh. shouldn't be dust. There shouldn't be dust. I know that was my right. When, when we when this trailer came out for this, when the teaser came out for this, like a couple of weeks or la- like last month, they showed the dust, and I'm like, what the hell is there dust of this? Where is the by, dust like, coming from? Right. Where is the dust coming from? It's in the vacuum mm. of space. I mean, with like no okay. Living- with no beings there to make it make you know body particles or anything. Okay, you else. you could make some kind of an argument that there was life support on the ship, and so there were vents, so there was wind, there was circulation in the room, even if minor. And over the course of a thousand years, perhaps wind erosion of like the consoles created <laughs> yeah, a thin layer so. of wow. dust made yeah. up of the, wow. of the bridge itself. But I still think that wouldn't be dust. I, I think there wouldn't be any dust. I don't think there'd be enough. No. Well, you kinda, or it would be imperceptibly so. Right. Yeah. But you do have to remember something. I mean, you, if you're buying into the whole notion that this ship is completely intact a thousand years in the future, with everything works and life support still functions and everything else, then the dust, I don't know, that doesn't bother me all that much. The whole idea that the Discovery is still in one piece and functioning a thousand years in the future. Yeah, that's a bigger a problem. Huge stretch. Yeah. Okay. Stretch. Well, so well, I'm, I'm going to try to cite Oh, sorry, Killer. No, go ahead. All I was going to say is, like, let's be creative about this. You know, if you're the writer and you're saying, okay, what would what would a starship look like out in the vacuum of space? It's on, but it has, let's say, relatively infinite power reserves, has solar power or whatever, you know, and RPG and all this stuff. So it can basically have infinite power reserves. What would happen to it over the course of a thousand years? Like, I think in my first thought would be that it would actually look... Because I wanted it to look a little bit more derelict, but I thought about it. And I thought actually I don't think it would. I think it would look relatively pristine, but certain yeah, it should be preserved mostly. Yeah. Certain systems may have decayed, but they would probably mm-hmm. be. I mean, considering the the technological level of the enterprise, of the discovery, you know, probably only certain systems would have decayed. A lot of them wouldn't have degraded. Like, what's causing them to degrade? Like may- right. maybe a lighter it's still spe- a thousand years, but but You're but it's an enormous amount of time. But it's a thousand years of like basically being put into sleep. Like who cares? Like Your if system's you took basically sleeping. If you took a um, a solar powered calculator that was you know in some kind of housing and so that it didn't break, and you put it in space floating around a sun for a thousand years, I- I'm not convinced it wouldn't still work. You know what I mean? You don't think the solar wind would eventually just chew up the components? I think it might blow it. I think it might push it farther out in an orbit. And it might, and probably, yeah, micrometeorites might chip away the housing that it was in. But again, that's like the the, the discovery has been designed to, that has, you know, a whole deflector dish and a whole system and, and, and made tritanium hulls to, to mitigate that already because it's supposed to travel through space. I, you know, I don't know. I'm just right, saying right. like these are the kinds of things that are sort of fun if 
pretend you're in the writer's room and thinking about what would it actually look like. So I'm, I'm not convinced it would look more derelict than what they showed. Even though I wanted yeah. to see that, actually, when I was watching it. I, was, I had that same thought. Yeah. Especially since apparently the computer evolved itself into an AI that seems to be pretty plugged into what's going on. I imagine she sure. could now she could power things down yeah. and tend to things. Send little send little work bees out like remotely controlled to fix things. Right? Great point. I mean, it, it, it seems she seems very capable at this point. This this AI. So Zora. So anyway, it's just interesting. It's one of those like old again, this is a very classic kind of thing, like goes back to say sort of the grandfather of all science fiction like movies and TV shows, the Forbidden Planet. Yeah. Where there are these ancient machines that were still like tended to, you know, that were still workable. It's mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. just one of those kind of classic tropes that there's ancient machines still being tended to somehow, they're still, you know, whatever. Um, so that's cool. I think I can overlook that. It's sort of a, yeah, a trope. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I to be honest, I wasn't really all too concerned about it. it. Was more, I'm more clinically interested in that aspect of it than anything. I was, right. to me, it was, right. that was it's just the backdrop to the this essentially what is a love story, right? For sure. And I thought that they did a beautiful. I thought Shabon wrote a beautiful little story. It makes you care about both of them. In, in the 18 minutes that you're with them, you find yourself caring about them. Certainly about craft. Yeah, yeah. All this hot. I actually cared about both of them. It. Yeah, I really think they. I really think that it was just a nice little tender little love story. We haven't seen too many stories like that. No, in Star Trek, not at all. And of course, like for me, I saw little shades of Wally, where he likes Hello Dolly and projects that for his love interest. And here we've got Funny Face for oh, her yeah. love interest, um, and um, also the just the the AI and the holography reminds me of Blade Runner 2049 a little bit oh, that's yeah, the yeah. main the main yeah. character's ba- mm-hmm. main character's like a virtual wife basically is yeah. kind of like that yep the JOI um, so, yes right and so you know little bits and pieces of other sci-fi things which i think it goes back to that thing where i've seen people critique it that this basically is generic sci-fi shot on the discovery sets you know and I get that. I understand. Which it is to some degree. Yeah, and I yeah. understand that. But um, but again, this is the whole point of Star Trek. They're playing with different things in 15 minutes. They're trying different yeah, things. Yeah, I have no problem with so it. So I think that's great. Yeah. And, and there's only so much you can do with that limited amount of time, and they seem to have done it. Right, exactly. Yeah, can you imagine if in about 15 minutes you've made us care about an AI and a mysterious like soldier, basically? Really? Yeah. Okay pretty impressive right yeah so and of course it helps that the other layer to all this is the whole greek mythology layer that's heavily yes talk about that this uh well so of course i'm no expert but there's just sort of the big things of like uh the odyssey right that Mm -hmm. um and craft is a lot like the uh, ulysses yeah a lot like ulysses and well, it's the story of Calypso, uh, right? And it's the like story the of Calypso, of literally. Right. And then the li- literally there's a Calypso, which is the immortal nymph, who's cursed right. forever to live on an island. And in fact, it's actually every a thousand years, a mm-hmm. mortal who's fated to fall in love with her. So there's your thousand years. Like it's all, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, let's see, homage, you could say, to yep. to this, to the Homer's Odyssey in it. And of course, like, uh, where is it? He's once referred to, um, one you know, Odysseus is referred to as being crafty for his cunning. So maybe that's where craft mm, yeah, as I a name so. comes from, perhaps. You know, mm. there's just all these little, you know, references. And um, they get, you know, not the same thing, but part of the greater Greek mythos is the whole golden fleece with Jason and the Argonauts. And craft gets this golden flight suit. At the mm, end, mm. you know, there's there's just all kinds of little references that the more you kind of look at it, the more you notice this influence. And, it's okay. very interesting. So and now what about the... the oh, oh, sorry. I would just say, um, of course, the Star, the Star Trek Discovery writers had had plenty of Greek storytelling influence in season one of Discovery as well. So that kind of ties sure. into that too. Mm. <laughs> sure. Although more in name than plot, but yeah. I think, but yes. Sure, sure, sure. 
but it, it's nice to have that kind of illusion. This kind it of really is because an homage and everything. It's it is because something Trek has done before. Absolutely, exactly. This is the kind of thing that I think a lot of Trekkies look for and, and appreciate. Like we just we. In fact, I was just re-listening to our Wrath of Khan podcast, and in it we discuss how we actually like all the literary illusions that Meyer uh, worked in, Packed right? In. Right, and so this is a this is a hallowed tradition in Shrek that we work in, sort of literally homages and whatever. So I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I think there's nothing wrong with it. While while also doing it in a way that's not hitting you over the head, right? Yeah. Like it would have been it would have been so easy for him, like as he's leaving, to start to quote like uh by the, the Ulysses poem, which like it ill befits an idle king to mule and drow or whatever. I can't, I can't remember exactly. That that would have been over the top. We didn't need that. Yep. Instead, they did just the right amount. I agree. Okay. Now, what yeah. about the yeah. the like tattoo or whatever it is on his back? Oh yeah, that's interesting. In in the article on Trek movie. Which is, of course, where oh, I get all my that's a great website. Techniques. Yeah, I've, I've heard good <laughs> things about it. I've heard great you guys things should check it. it out. Yeah, it's all right. Um, uh, it's like uh, maybe teasing up the idea of the Red Angel from Discovery Season oh, 2. No. Yeah, we, so she the AIDs it and calls it a tat, an owl tattoo that's like indigenous to his people like who are like fighters or something. But the very first thing I saw when I saw that on his back, I went, oh, there's our Season 2 like symbol you know kind of tie-in right it's I, it, I it, even, it made i didn't even make that connection to be honest oh that's not, the neither very did first I. thing i thought i, I just read but it. It, it may it may be nothing because it also has some symbol some uh symbolism elsewhere but just meh maybe it is somehow i kind of doubt it because this is very much this is very clearly a very standalone story but it, right. who knows yeah yeah I, I that would be kind of weird if they did that to be perfectly honest I think it would be weird too. I don't think it's really going to happen. I think it's coincidental that there's meaningful winged creatures. Right. <laughs> you know, that's not exactly crazy. So, lots of cultures have them. What if what if Kraft is from the Mirror Universe and that's why he's fighting the Federation? But a thousand years in the future? I don't but know. Al- but also how the Mirror Discovery didn't it get destroyed? Yeah. Yeah, well, but he could be from the mirror universe in the prime universe, right? Uh, oh God! How'd okay. He get there, though? <laughs> oh Jesus! I don't know. I mean, maybe, but that's a stretch. That's, yeah, that's way, yeah. I, that's way too like that's what somebody who who thinks they're really clever would write fan fiction. In, <laughs> you know what I mean? No offense. Oh, okay. Well, I I certainly haven't been working on anything like that this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll oh just, sorry, Jerry. I'll just uh, just not hit upload to my WordPress blog that I've been working on. Since <laughs> oh, I just totally killed it for you. Sorry, Jerry. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> Probably deserved it. I thought that this was a beautifully written story. It is, in my opinion, the most well written thing that this production group has done since the beginning of Discovery. I think it was beautifully written by an incredibly good writer. Yes, it was beautifully directed. Yeah. Absolutely. Like Going I said, back, it was I say, really, if, really nicely if, done. If we're yeah, commenting on how great. the food made us feel hungry, that means it was a great piece of cinema. Yeah. yeah. The staging of it, everything, that, the way it was staged was just really nicely done. Yeah, it really From was. From top to bottom. For, it was just first rate, top to bottom. I agree. I thought it was great. I don't know if I would give it as high praise as you are, Brian, but I think it's up there with with among my favorite things to have come out of this this production so for sure i thought it was awesome i liked it and like i said within the constraints that i had i think it worked magic but would that magic make the sanest man go mad <laughs> find out <laughs> next week on <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> nice uh also can we just say that starfleet now extends its branding to popcorn oh which is what we found yeah out in this. Oh, boo, yeah, come, on. boo. come on, let's all just calm down. Like, this like prop people. person, I get it. You're like, this is my moment to shine. But you, no, fade into the background. The first thing I saw, thought when I saw that popcorn is just like, oi. Like, cause why is the Federation brand aware all of a sudden? 
Yeah, shouldn't be. It shouldn't well, be. maybe so the the subcontractor that got the the proposal to do branding for uh, Section Thirty One, like they put some <laughs> options in there, and they just took advantage of those options. They, they, like they brand everything, guys. Oh, I know all the weapons. All their I, I assume, like clothing, all the belt, I, I, the buckles on the clothing. See that, I, but my assumption with that is there's so much pressure from, especially in the age of internet piracy, for product placement, and because if you do pro- good product placement and you get pirated, it's not like you're losing something; it's that you're getting more eyeballs on your advertising, right? And yeah. so my conclusion has been they do that like to sell to move merchandise, but but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Well, I'll tell you, a bunch of us who saw this basically turned right around and said, uh, how do we buy, like, where's the official Star Trek.com, like, stores, you know, popcorn boxes, because we right. buy them right now. A bunch of the staff said that. So, it works. Okay, there we go. I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> I guess, you know. Honest. No, I wouldn't either, but no, I, I wouldn't. but but two or three two or three of the Czech movie staff, you said it, and they were just like, that's great, I want it. And it's like, okay, well, I guess it works. Job well, well done. And then know? and then Kraft was also wearing the disco shirt, right? So they were reinforcing that. Yes. Yeah. A, a new version, by the way. Slightly new. Oh, yeah. Slightly oh wow. Different. You would notice. That's awesome. Not that was not meant me. that was not meant as a derogatory way. I'm just like, that is awesome. Like, is the font slightly different? I totally didn't. Yeah, notice. the font the font's different. Yeah. Our our uh our uh staff member Lori, who was also a big disco fan and of course is worked in various capacities in the industry, noticed it and went, huh, that's not the disco shirt. Like I wanted to, like I bought from season one. And I'm like, Oh, good job. You're right. It's a different font. It's <laughs> awesome. Well noted. I would not have picked up that detail. Okay. I guess our final tidbit. Do we, Matt, do we have a final tidbit? Just that uh, this week, at least in the U.S. and Canada, Star Trek Discovery Season 1 comes out on Blu-ray and DVD for people who want to own physical copies. This is your chance. Uh, it, we just got the copies to review, so as when we're recording this, so sorry, I don't have lots to say about it yet, but look for uh, the review later in the week on TrekMovie.com. Is there All anything right. that you can tell us that we're expecting to be on the Blu-ray? Special features. Uh, there's the the part that probably is most interesting is that they do have a uh, seven episodes have deleted and or extended scenes that were Ooh. cut. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. So, that's pretty so cool. these are like cool. never be- never before seen things. As far as I know, yeah. Sweet. So they, they CBS was not very interested in like sharing deleted scenes during the season. Right. Like they didn't really share them on After Trek and stuff, you know. So that would have been a very good interesting idea. to see. I know, right? So it would be very. I'm very interested to see just what was uh, deleted and or just cut from like from extended scenes. They look. It's intriguing. I'm very interested to see what was cut. Hmm. Um, and I have one more question for our home media expert. Any uh, news on when I can get this in a non in a non physical oh, format? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, CBS did a terrible job. They still have never <laughs> said anything officially. And yes, I'm going to say that. I really don't understand why they didn't say anything. Uh, they just uh, Friday on Friday. Today's Monday. So before the weekend, uh, Discovery season one just sort of showed up to buy on the iTunes store. Only in the U.S. for the moment. Sorry, um, just sort of showed up out of the blue to buy. You can buy the whole season on iTunes now. And it's like, wait, what? This is huge because yeah. CBS has been resisting. Um, they didn't follow the pattern. We, we've chatted about this before, like in the past on in the podcast. I think even that CBS didn't follow their pattern for other all access shows because other all access shows like their season has been over and then they've put them up like for digital, you know, purchase and just right away. Like whenever the season ends, boom, you can get it for digital purchase. Like they did that for uh, the good fight, which is the spinoff from the good wife that also launched on all access. And they didn't do that for discovery and they didn't do it and they didn't do it. And there's no sign of it anywhere to be bought digitally and then suddenly a few days before the physical release, it just kind of quietly showed it up on iTunes and only iTunes, which is also really weird because uh, there, the other all access shows um, like the good fight can be bought digitally. You know, if you have an Amazon, you know, for digital downloads, the only place that's available right now is iTunes and, and quietly, I, I still don't understand this. 
So yeah, there's still no formal announcement. No, there's right? still no formal announcement. They didn't do it at all. They're entire whatever's whatever's you know press releases we've gotten are all entirely focused on the uh, Blu-ray uh, release. You know what? You know what? And it wouldn't surprise me. Maybe they dropped it by accident. Maybe they're like a little <laughs> oh, early. God. They, no, they they look. We, well, it's still it's still as of today it's still up there. You can still purchase it. So whatever. <laughs> so we're making the um, announcement now. You heard it here um, first. It it does not have all the special features that the Blu-ray does, which kind of makes sense because they really want people to buy the physical copy. I don't want a it has physical some... thing. I'm a oh, I'm a millennial. I don't. I yeah, but I can, but, I, if rem- I can never own a house, remember, then I don't want to have to own stuff to fill up my rental apartment with. But remember, ostensibly, they can revoke your license to that content any point in time they feel like it. iTunes, so, though. Yes, if they want to, sure, of course. Of course. They probably won't, but they could. Because Apple's... Wow, um, this is another discussion for another day. But, <laughs> but Apple's been is, historically good about that. They have. Apple has, yes. But again, if CBS for some reason would be like, nope, they're, the special features that were part of the season that you purchased, like, revoke them. Bye. Yeah. Buy, all special, buy all special features. They probably wouldn't revoke the episodes. So the iTunes release does come with some special features. But most importantly, one of the things that's missing, at least I think most importantly, that it's missing that the disc copies do have are the deleted scenes. You don't get those with the iTunes copy. Okay. So it's kind of the fluffy. You kind of get the fluffy like extras as part of the iTunes season. So mm-hmm. there you go. Awesome. Well, thanks Matt. for filling us in. Yeah. Thanks for us being on top of that, Matt. Thanks for the scoop, Mr. Wright. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, well, I think that brings our 61st episode to a, a close. So we can we okay. can put we can close the book on this podcast and put it up mm-hmm. on the shelf. You're welcome to come back to our library and revisit it anytime. But between now and then, we hope to have many more other delicious <laughs> volumes in the library of the Shuttlepod. Sounds good. All right, well, I'll see you guys right, next right. time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys.